Hello, welcome to Beastly Theories. Uh, this is Andy McGrath, your host. Today, I've got Gary Open with me. Now, he's a wildlife expert, environmental consultant for the Australian Corporation radio station 94.5 FM, North Coast, New South Wales, and has a regular weekly show which has been running for 22 years where he tackles subjects like wildlife behaviour, uh, current issues concerning the environment of the North Coast, on his show, he also takes listeners' calls and must immediately identify all species of mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, and invertebrates from their descriptions. He's the author of Australian Cryptozoology and has also written many academic pieces. He's an environmental consultant with a field research and public relations career spanning 50 years, working in New South Wales, Queensland, Papua New Guinea, and Southeast Asia, expert on vegetation and fauna survey techniques, plant identification, identification of ecology of terrestrial vertebrate fauna groups, vegetation classification, vegetation mapping, plant conservation biology and wildlife habitat management. Also lectures university and high school students on botany, zoology, biogeography, Australian ecology, permaculture, Aboriginal ecology, religion and culture. Gary, what a wonderful mouthful of a, a unique CV. How are you? Welcome to the show. I am very fine and uh, lovely to talk with you, Andy, and uh, Beasts of Britain tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, there was so much in the book, which you kindly sent me uh, quite a while back, and I, I did look to quite a bit of it. Now, there's a unique, um, I suppose, ecosystem there in Australia. You've got a unique set of animals anyway that we know about. Uh, but you talked about something in the book that was very interesting to me, which was 10 species of uh, large mammals that were unknown to science that were repeatedly reported to you by listeners on your radio program. Um, can you describe these 10 species for us? Yes, I can. And I'll, I'll show you some uh, illustrations as well. Oh, so wow. uh, I, uh, I've been a... Uh, uh, scientific member of the Royal Zoological Society of New South Wales for 45 years and uh, uh, in 2013 they decided to hold a zoological forum on dangerous ideas in zoology. Now they mm -hmm. hold a zoological forum every year and every year it's a different, different topic. It can be on dingoes or flying foxes or kangaroos or koalas, a whole array of different subjects and so and I thought, well, what a wonderful opportunity to speak to uh, Australia's top 100 scientists at the Australian Museum in Sydney uh, because they wanted really dangerous ideas. And so uh, there was about oh, 30 speakers, perhaps we each had 15 minutes. Uh, and then when it was my turn at about 2.15 in the afternoon, uh, I said, now, you may, thought, you may have thought that some of the ideas you've heard are dangerous, but wait till you hear mine. <laughs> uh, then, I, then I described how uh, I'd been broadcasting this uh, federally funded uh, radio program on ABC, North Coast, New South Wales local radio, wildlife identification. And people phone in, I have to instantly identify everything that they've seen, which I can do. I've always done fauna and flora surveys uh, and uh, uh, and so uh, I didn't really expect to receive any reports on unknown animals because even though I picked up many reports of such animals and even seen on very, very rare occasions, I saw one un animal unknown to science. Uh, 
and uh, I heard the calls of uh, one or two different species of animals unknown to science, but it was a bit hard to believe that anything was actually out there because I was, like most people, pretty sure that uh, it was highly unlikely anything could survive uh, and not be known to uh, modern science. Uh, and so I was really surprised by the number of phone calls that I received and emails describing around about 10 different species of animals. Uh, and uh, so uh, my presentation at the end of the uh, day was awarded as the bravest, most dangerous <laughs> presentation. Uh, and, uh, and it was interesting because the, the gathered zoologists um, stated that that um, this is the first time a light had been sh shone on, on these amazing reports that are received. Uh, and one of the zoologists said, that we all receive these reports, but no one does anything about them. But uh, ah. actually recorded the, the name of the person, uh, the locality, the description, and the behavior of the animal and the identification. And so I've received over 22 years, every week of the year, pretty much, uh, uh, thousands of phone calls and emails and photographs uh, sent on the ABC North Coast local radio Facebook site, photographs of birds and insects and lizards and snakes and anything for identification. Uh, and uh, uh, of those thousands of um, phone calls, I was able to identify about 400 different species of animals that included invertebrates, insects, spiders, etc. Uh, and uh, but I'd also received several hundred phone calls and emails, sometimes live on air, uh, of animals completely unknown to science. Uh, and so I'll go through those. But anyway, uh, the uh, the Royal Zoological Society uh, uh, produces a, a a journal as the zoologist, the Australian zoologist. Uh, it's the it's the oldest uh, zoological journal in Australia. It's been going for mm -hmm. over. A, hundred years and so my paper the first on citizen science and cryptozoology was was published in 2017 that's I'm just showing you that's the uh, the cover uh -huh. of it awesome uh, that's the cover and then I'll just show you my that's my article I'm uh -huh. just seeing how it looks my scientific article it's yeah, about 30 40 pages and I've actually got it up on my uh, Facebook site, Australian Cryptozoology, Gary Opert. Uh -huh. and, and so, uh, uh, so I, I mean, I received lots of phone calls on very rare and endangered species such as the spotted tail quoll and the brush tail Fascagalea carnivorous marsupials related to Tasmanian tigers. Uh -huh. But the the most, the largest number of reports I received uh, was on a Tasmanian tiger or thylacine-like animal. Now, the thylacine or thylacine, thylacine sinocephalus, uh, is a carnivorous marsupial uh, related to Tasmanian devils, spotted tail quolls, carnivorous marsupials, uh, and so it's not related to a tiger or a dog or anything. It's an example mm -hmm. of parallel evolution. Uh, and uh, so the Australian continent uh, has been isolated from the rest of the world for about 50 million years uh, and was originally part of the great Gondwana land uh, supercontinent that included Australia, 
joined to Antarctica with uh, New Zealand, part of the Australian East Coast, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, South America, Africa, even India, Madagascar. When that broke apart and Australia began drifting north at about six centimetres a year, uh, flowing north from currents of white hot liquid rock about 100 kilometres below our feet, uh, the Australian animals were uh, uh, isolated from the rest of the world's fauna and flora, but they're related to the South American animals and the animals that lived in Gondwana. So we also have plants that are related to the proteas in South Africa. So we have a, a remarkable ecosystem or a variety of ecosystems um, that are incredibly ancient, but of course the animals, uh, even though they're unbelievably ancient, they're extremely modern, they're highly adapted to um, survive. Uh-huh. So we have a range of spectacular animals, um, some surviving, like one, some species surviving from the Devonian. We have the Queensland lungfish, uh, which was the first uh, animal, the uh, first backboned animal to breathe air, atmosphere, oxygen, uh, and uh, <laughs> it was one of the earliest animals to move on land. They're still living in the rivers completely unchanged. The fossil skeletons of them are exactly the same as they are today, 300 wow. million years later. Then we've got the platypus. Uh, and the echidna, which are egg-laying mammals, uh, and uh, they're, uh, they're they're virtually mammal-like reptiles. You know, they're um, <laughs> the the platypus, for instance. We've got fossils going back 120 million years. So the platypus lived with uh, dinosaurs, and then 66 million years after the dinosaurs succumbed, uh, the platypus is still swimming around the feet of of uh, people today. Uh, we've got the world's largest butterflies. Uh, the world's largest moths. We've got an incredible array of animals, mainly marsupials. And one of the most remarkable uh, is the Tasmanian tiger or thylacine or uh-huh. thylacine. And uh, when Europeans arrived around about 200 or so years ago, uh, English settlements in 1788 spread across the continent. Uh, Tasmanian tigers and devils uh, were found primarily in uh, Tasmania. Uh, which has been isolated from Australia for about uh, something like six to eight thousand years, they believe. Mm-hmm. But a few specimens were apparently shot and observed on the mainland, uh, but it was generally believed that uh, the Tasmanian tiger went extinct in 1936, uh, and that was from a disease primarily, um, uh, which decimated the populations. Tasmanian tigers or thylacines were very difficult animals to uh, observe or even trap, uh, just like any carnivore, they're um, an ambush predator uh, and they're, they're not easy to see. Though when they were common, um, they were seen occasionally. Uh, but most Tasmanian trappers are trapping for the fur trade. Uh, majority of them only trapped one or two uh, Tasmanian tigers or Tasmanian wolves or Tasmanian dogs in their whole career. Uh, and they are uh, wonderful animals. They're introduced to captivity. They used to be shown in in uh, wild animal show in uh, in dogs. They were sold in agricultural shows, uh, and they were distributed around the world. They're in zoos for a long time, all over the world, including London Zoo and, uh, and zoos in America and Europe and Asia. Uh, but they uh, they uh, 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 this disease went through the marsupials and the Tasmanian uh, thylacine declined dramatically and so generally believed to be extinct since 1936. However, ever since 
there are many, many reports of the animals seen alive that's still coming in to this day, uh, but there's no hard physical evidence. But as well as that, we've received many reports of it on the mainland as well, and that was the animal that I received the most number of reports of. Uh, you know, around by these days, around about a hundred reports. Uh, oh. and, and, and I mean, and this is in northeastern New South Wales, mm. and so these reports are of um, often multiple witnesses uh, uh, observing these animals, uh, listening to them call. Uh, one uh, banana farmer. Uh, and his workmen, including a teacher um, who was working on his school holidays at a banana farm, they encountered this animal uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, they um, chased it up the hill. Uh, and uh, yeah, they had no idea what it was. Uh, to them, it was a monster because it was unlike anything mm -hmm. they'd seen. Uh, but uh, multiple observations and reports, including reports by uh, zoologists, uh, Dr. Mary Gardner, uh, saw uh, an animal look just like a thylacine or Tasmanian tiger uh, on at Cape Byron and on the most easterly, most easterly point in Australia. Uh, so were, they, were they solitary animals when they were in existence? Yes, yes, no, they're always solitary animals. So just like uh -huh. normal car carnivores, uh -huh. just like leopards or uh, 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 other ambush predators. Uh -huh. So they're not, they look dog-like but they're not pursuit predators, so they don't chase their prey. They don't have the bone structure of a predator, of a, of a, of a canine, a dog or a wolf. Um, their, their limb structure is similar to a, uh, a cat. And so it's believed they could even climb trees, uh, but they could definitely jump like a kangaroo, rise up on their hind legs and jump like a kangaroo or run like a dog, brown in color with black stripes, and you can see illustrations I've got. Oh, I see that. Yes. <laughs> so a wonderful animal. Uh, and uh, uh, they they were generally at one time they were they had a, a a bounty on their head because it was believed that they were uh, killers of sheep. Uh, however, uh, so zoologists studying the records of the sheep stations that recorded every every uh, uh, demise of every sheep. Uh, uh, found there was no reports of, of thylacines of Tasmanian tigers ever attacking sheep, and the and the studies of their jaws have shown that they only fed on small prey like rats and possums uh, and uh, another small animal, small wallabies, very tiny kangaroos, uh, animals like that. And uh, yeah, that like any predator, they'd have a very large territory because obviously. Uh, they have to uh, hunt prey, and and uh, so they have they move around their their territories just like any uh, predator. Uh, and of course, they're extremely cryptic because they uh, they don't want to be seen by their prey species. Uh, and uh, and so they're they're regularly observed by people all over Australia. But most people, if they're lucky enough to see one, and they're mainly farmers and forestry workers and and uh, and rural workers and dwellers uh mainly seen crossing the road at night from a castle i'm seen in the daytime by farmers driving tractors or by uh, 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 uh forestry workers driving through the through the state forests but they might only see one or two in a lifetime like you, you very you have to be very fortunate to, to cross paths with one of these animals so uh mm -hmm. that's probably why we don't have any physical evidence of them, that, but um, I mean, hundreds that, of reports. 
that seems very logical, really. But you're saying that these are on the mainland of Australia, which is a place that they weren't even known to inhabit before their extinction. Is that right? No, no, no. They were, um, there were many species of thylacine. They've evolved in Australia and they lived in every part of Australia and they oh, found fossils in every part of Australia, including New Guinea. Uh, when I was living in New Guinea, I used to work with the Wow Ecology Institute uh, at, which is a, a field station of the Bishop Museum of Hawaii. This is in 1973-74. Uh, I talked to a, a zoologist that had actually seen a Tasmanian tiger or thylacine cross the road up at um, between Wow and Bololo in the Owen Stanley Ranges, uh, and there were reports of missionaries seeing them in the uh, the western end of Indonesian own uh, section of New Guinea. So, in, in New Guinea, like it's completely undisturbed. Oh, yes. mostly and so they're probably happily living there but the the chance of encountering one of these animals or actually collecting one somehow is is very is very remote yeah and um about the the other uh, nine species that, that people would call in about what was the the, the second most frequent call that you received about well, unknown uh, yeah. large mammals the, the the second most common is is probably and this is the most astounding species um, it's probably Homo erectus so uh, it's either Homo erectus or Homo denisovan uh, uh -huh. and uh, uh, and it's the animal that's generally known as a Bigfoot uh, and uh -huh. uh, and the Sasquatch <laughs> it seems very very similar in every way uh, also known as the Yeti. Uh, uh -huh. in the Himalayas and the Yeran in China and it's got a variety of names uh, <laughs> and and so uh, I've received literally dozens of reports and reports continue to come in very detailed reports uh, and uh, the animal stands uh, around about between five and a half to seven feet in height wow. and and uh, it's very powerfully built uh, and w we may have more than one species it's difficult to know but that generally uh, it has a very human-like face so when uh -huh. people have close views of them uh, they say that it, it's not a it's not a gorilla it's not an ape it's a human it's got a face like a very ugly human uh, they describe the face as very much like a neanderthal um, illustrations of cavemen and Neanderthals. That's what comes to mind. They're very solid, covered in hair, uh, and the hair they vary in colour. Uh, they can be all black, they can be uh, uh, brown, uh, or they can be uh, a blonde haired, so, so sort of a, a very pale brown, uh, almost orange. Uh, so quite a variety of 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 colours, but black or black with silver hairs might might be elderly ones. Uh, but uh, males and females, uh, and of course uh, the 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 encounters are usually traumatic because majority of Australians are completely uh, ignorant of the existence of these things, uh, and uh, uh, because like most people. Uh, most Australians, they're city dwellers today and they're suburbanites and their only interaction with with wildlife is in picnic areas or in wildlife parks. Yeah. 
Uh, and so when they encounter something like this in the bush, uh, which happens quite frequently, uh, <laughs> the, the, um, the, the results are, are pretty astounding. People uh, absolutely amazed and shocked to um, encounter something like this. Very powerful um, animals. Well, really, I would suppose human. that's part of the the, the trauma-like response. Essentially, that you, the, the uh, witness feels threatened, whether they could be harmed by such a a large creature, whether the creature makes any threatening gestures or not. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, what, what's the, what, talking about the the yowie? I think you call it, don't you? Uh, talking about the yowie, what are the most typical um, descriptions that are given in interactions with people? Where are they most? Uh, where are they most regularly witnessed? Are they? Is it normally normally accidental, or is the creature curious in seeking out or, or observing people, or or a mix of all those things? Yes, look, it's a mix. So mostly it's accidental. Uh, however, uh, they're, they're increasing in number, so the reports are coming in all the time, all over Australia. And it's astounding how many reports are coming in. Uh, and now, like a perfect example, a, uh, a woman by the name of Sarah contacted me. Uh, this happened some time back in Victoria, Mornington Peninsula, near Melbourne. She was driving back from, I think she was a nurse or some. She worked late at night. She was driving back home at about two or three in the morning. And she came across two large animals in the middle of the road, thickly furred animals. And and she was thinking, God, it must be gigantic. It was dogs or giant kangaroos. And she drove right up to them. It was the full moon, and uh, uh, and the uh, uh, and they're in the full headlights, and they're right in front of a car. And she's looking at them, and uh, and one looks at her, and she gets the shock of her life because uh, she realizes. To her, it looked like a yeti, and it was definitely a female. It had quite an attractive face, like it was definitely a woman's face or a female face, but not a not a, a human woman, probably a homo erectus woman, thickly furred, and uh, uh, and she was absolutely astounded, and she thought she's it's, and they can't they have to be kangaroos. They can't be. There's no yetis here. <laughs> um, and then and then. Um, these two animals or these two beings or humans, Homo erectuses, uh, faced each other and they seemed to be mating in the middle of the road. And she sat there for five minutes watching them. Oh, God. Uh, and then she decided uh, she couldn't sit here all night. She'd better drive around them. So she drove around them because they're up on her side of the road and uh, and then she stopped right beside them, so they're right outside her passenger window, and you can see them in the full sun, in the full moon, and looking at them again because she's saying they have to be kangaroos or dogs or something. And then she looks at them, they're looking at her, and she sort of thinks, no, nope, yep, they definitely look like yetis. <laughs> and then one of them thumped the side of the car, and of course that gave her a fright, and she accelerated around them, pulled back onto her side of the road, and then stopped. Uh, and then, then she she's run out, run over one of them. They're probably kangaroos, just because we have these kangaroos called wallaroos that are very thick uh -huh. and fur. So that what they can't be yeti. So she stopped and had a look at them again, and still <laughs> in the full moon of the lights. And one of them was standing up now because that before they'd both been sitting down facing each other, 
Uh, face to face. And so now one was sitting down, one was standing up. And then she looked at them for another few minutes thinking, oh, they still look like yetis. And then she eventually drove away and thinking, why does weird things happen to me? She just uh, looked at the whole thing as a negative thing because it's impossible. But eventually did some wonderful illustrations of them. And she finally, when talking to other people, she began to realise that other people are seeing strange things as well. And, uh, uh, and, and then another wonderful encounter where a group of, uh, of fencing contractors were building a fence up at, on the Dorigo Plateau near the town of Dorigo. And they were there for nine months and they put in 28 kilometres of new fencing. The old timber fencing was rotting away after 100 years or so. So they're pulling in steel spikes, uh, 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 steel picket. And, uh, uh, and, <laughs> and the property was actually owned by a British member of parliament. Uh, it was an investment property and a cattle station. So uh, uh, he, this, uh, uh, the gentleman that contacted me, uh, he'd been, uh, 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 when he started work, they had just begun the very first day of putting in the new pickets that already pulled down the old the old fencing. And of course, they'd moved the cows uh, into another paddock, of course. And, uh, and and this is sort of undulating hilly country dropping down into in steep ravines and wilderness. And uh, so they drove up at six in the morning and they see, oh, my goodness, one of the cows has got loose because there's a big black animals um, squatting by the fence. And then... It was looking back over its shoulder uh, and then it, it stood up on its hind legs and began to run, bent over forward uh, at a 45 degree angle. And, uh, uh, and, and this gentleman cried out, oh, my God, I've never seen a cow run on its hind legs before. Because <laughs> it's still positive it had to be a cow. And then the oh. other workmen were saying, that's not a cow. Cows can't run on their hind legs. And, and they watched it running and they realised that this was a thing like a gorilla, uh, and wow. it was it was swinging its arms like pendulums in, in back and forth, and it's and it ran with it instead of running the way humans run and walk. We just move uh, the lower part of our leg forward, but this was bringing its knees up high, and the grass wow. was uh, you know a couple of feet high, and you can see the tops of its knees rising above, and it was bent over at a forty five degree angle, swinging its arm. Had to run about 150 meters, and so anyway, they'd been they they drove up to where it was, and they'd been pulling out the uh, iron stakes that they had the iron fence posts and twisting them, and so they wow. just threw those in the bush and kept on kept on. It managed uh, to, to actually twist the metal. Yeah, it twist twisted these these star pickets, uh, and, uh, and so incredibly strong. Anyway, they had to do the job, so the, and the thing had run away, and they d decided they would call these things gorilla men because that's what they look like to them. Mm. And uh, they encountered them occasionally, uh, and each time they did, they all both ran in. in they they always both ran away. One time they went for a swim at this and lovely set of waterfalls. Do uh, we call gorilla man falls? We've had a couple of expeditions to this area. Um, we often go looking for um, for evidence if we get the opportunity. Uh -huh. And uh, 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 and that, they'd gone down to have a swim, and there was a big uh, log that that um, they could hear some animal breaking pieces of uh, of old rotted timber out of this big log. This log is about 
one and a half meters so you know um four five six feet across or something uh and uh, a hollow inside covered in moss and uh, they realized some animal was breaking pieces of the of the timber to probably to feed on the on the various beetle larvae borers uh and uh, uh and so they approached the log and suddenly um one of these gorilla men stood up and, and they, they ran for their life and um, one of the poor chaps, he was so terrified that he defecated as he ran. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but um, and and uh, uh, anyway, uh, eventually one of them turned up at their house. It was a, a corrugated iron house, and it hammered on the walls, and uh, it, it 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 pushed the uh, it pushed the uh, uh, the car back and forth, back and forth. They could hear it. They were so terrified of this thing walking around, thumping the walls, wow. and, and and that left for perfect footprints. Uh, and uh, uh, and the, the gentleman that told me the story, he said that they're all in bed at this time. It was late at night, just not long after they'd gone to bed. And so he, he pulled the blanket over his head and held his breath, and he, he went <laughs> unconscious. He woke up the next morning, discovered that one of the workmen had slept the night under a pile of dirty clothes in the laundry because they, they were so terrified this thing would break its way in and murder oh, wow. them. But, and uh, that chap then left. He immediately, he left the property immediately. He wouldn't have anything to do with the place. Uh, and uh, so they had several encounters. But, of course, they're not actually aggressive uh, in that. And that's the reason they're unknown. Uh, but they're moving into the towns now. So we get reports in the towns themselves. Oh, really? Right on yes, the outskirts of the towns? Or right in, in the, the centre of towns. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> At night always. And so I had this uh, husband and wife. They were um, a, a reverend and his wife uh, and in a local church uh, in a town in northern New South Wales. And uh, they, because they'd heard me on the radio, and they had recorded some calls. And they phoned me up and asked me if I'd identify the calls. Anyway, the calls were simply of a female fox, a vixen's call. Uh -huh. uh, and then they said, oh, they've also heard these other calls. They haven't been able to record them. They're just incredibly loud roars. Uh, but they've been having a trouble with, they believed it was the neighbour. Because almost every night, um, someone would be under the house walking around and... Um, thumping on the walls and grabbing the um, door and twisting the doorknob and climbing up over the house onto the veranda. Uh, and and uh, uh, they set up security cameras. They'd glare at the neighbour and the neighbour would glare back at them. And they were yeah. positive that it must be the neighbour. They'd say, said to me, how can the neighbours spend all night under a house and then the next day he's, he's working in his garden? He's just a retired gentleman. And I said... <laughs> It's, it's not the neighbour, it's probably the, the same thing's happening to him and uh, and he thinks maybe it's you trespassing onto his property. <laughs> anyway, they phoned the police many times telling them they've got an intruder and the policeman told them that, oh, look, this has been going on for three years. It's a madman. We've never been able to work out where he lives and, uh, and no one's ever seen him in the daytime. That you, you encounter him at night. He never does any damage, but he wanders around people's gardens and he God. and he bangs on walls and he and he sometimes he'll move a rock or something or other. Uh, and and um, and he's anyone who's ever seen him said he's huge and hairy. Uh, but of course they think it must be a person. It can't possibly be. Uh, 
a really because common. that's where your mind would automatically yes. uh, go to. It was uh, interesting to me actually when you, you mentioned um, the workmen uh, thinking that they saw a cow on its hind legs or, or the lady in the car thinking that she saw two giant kangaroos. And I always think about um, you know, when the Aztecs saw Cortez coming on his ships, they thought they were floating mountains because there was no frame of reference in their mental library to describe what they were seeing. So your mind makes up something that's not there, but best fits the description to you. When you're listening to witnesses give descriptions of animals they've got no clue about, do you often have those types of things, that this description from the mental library? So we see it with sea monsters a lot. In the old, in old reports, the water horse, a horse-like head. Well, it's not a horse-like, but it seems to have this cattle-like uh, shape to it. Do you have a similar yeah. thing with the Yowie? What do they say? Do they say Yowie or Bigfoot, or do they normally say things like, a large gorilla or chimpanzee or a, a, a caveman. How do they yeah. describe? It? Yes, look, they, <coughs> the uh, the image of the of the animal uh, is seared into their brain because you know, uh, I mean, if you see something, the same thing. If you're going to the shops and suddenly some big thug or dangerous-looking character suddenly menaces you, you, you like you won't be able to get that figure out of your mind. Or if you see a terrible accident or something, you hear about people that they become tr quite traumatic because they relive the experience, uh, and and uh, so it's similar. But yeah, the description is always almost identical. It's always a huge, incredibly powerfully built, uh, ancient human-like like animal, uh, <coughs> more human than than ape or or a gorilla-like. Uh, but if people that only get a, a view of the animal running away, they'll say it looked like a gorilla. Uh, mm -hmm. But if they see the face, the invariably they say that it's the face of a, of a human. And uh, is the of, face hairy normally, or is, it, uh, is there uh, visible skin? Uh, very much <coughs> like the Bigfoot description. So uh, generally it's bare around the eyes, but sometimes the whole, uh, the whole uh, a face can be fairly hairless. Uh, uh, and there's a, and you can see there's, there's quite a bit of uh, individuality. Uh, and we've actually got a photograph of one, uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Ray Doherty. Uh, he's got a, uh, a website called uh, the Australian Yowie Project. And some years ago, he photographed a, a very dark figure up in a tree from a, a bit of a distance. He didn't have um, uh, all that good a camera and uh, because he wasn't a professional photographer. And uh, he, he, and then uh, he got very interested in these animals. Now, now the Aboriginal people, uh, they know them very well. Now, if the Aboriginal people who have been here for, um, we've got evidence that they've definitely been here 50, 60, 70, 80,000 years. They're probably even older than that. Uh, and they say, the Aboriginal people, um, have many names um, for these uh, ancient human-like creatures. Uh, and uh, on the East Coast, they're usually called the males are Doolagals, Doolagals, and, uh, and the females are Marlemas. Marlemas, so Doolagals or Doolagars and Marlemas, but that's just in New South Wales, 
uh, East uh-huh. New South Wales. They have different names in every um, in every part of Australia because we had about five hundred different uh, uh, original Australian nations um, that were um, decimated to a large degree with the arrival of of, of, of the British uh, in the uh, uh, you know a couple of hundred years ago. However, uh, the uh, the original people, generally known as Aboriginal people. Uh, uh, right across the tropics and in the inland, where it was was too uh, difficult for a, for a, a European style farming, um, those people their their culture and their tribes are intact, and they talk about the, the, these animals. They know um, the Tasmanian tigers or thylacine. They know where they live. They keep them as pets sometimes. They know of the uh, uh, of the Homo erectus-like animal, Homo denisovan. So they're well known to the, they're very sacred uh, and they don't generally talk to uh, uh, outsiders, you know, um, yeah. English or Australians or, or whatever, um, especially because a lot of people, as we know, unfortunately, a lot of people uh, have very uh, negative attitudes towards other cultures. And so I think oh. their culture is wonderful, but think, you know, sort of, Traditional cultures are of no consequence, but of course, uh, fabulous cultures. I mean, you, uh, you wouldn't um, put down any of the world's cultures, no matter what, all fabulous cultures. But um, so they know them well. So uh, and uh, so they have. Uh, 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 sorry, this Ray Doherty, uh, he was able to get some software that uh, that. Uh, enhanced the photograph he, he took and so we now have a photograph of the face of one of these whatever they are homo erectus or perhaps they're homo denisovan uh the homo denisovan uh is known from siberia just from the two or three teeth and a finger bone uh, uh 40,000 years interbreeding with humans and neanderthals about 40,000 years ago in siberia uh, and uh, studying the the genetics of Australian Aboriginal people, there's something like four or five percent uh, of of their uh, genetics is is Denisovan genetics. The same thing in New Guinea, and the same thing with the uh, Sherpa people uh, in the Himalayas, and scattered around amongst a whole bunch of other people. As you probably know, Europeans uh, we have one or two percent uh, Neanderthal DNA in us, so we know that. Uh, uh, Caucasians or Europeans <laughs> were um, inter- interrelating with uh, Neanderthals, Homo Neanderthal, and uh, and so the same thing was happening in Asia and Australia uh, or Australasia with Homo Denisovan. So the photograph you can see it's not something like a gorilla; it's very ancient human. And so now uh, Ray Doherty. Uh, uh, obtain the services of a wonderful forensic sculpture, uh, sculpturer, and he's made a life-size three-dimensional sculpture. His name is Buck, Buckingham, and he's made a wonderful three-dimensional uh, sculpture of the face of this Yowie or Doolagal, uh, and um, you can see it on uh, Ray Doherty's The Australian Yowie Project uh, internet site. Now, before the bill, there's a smaller picture called the 
Yes, and so if you look in the background here, you can see it's an actual uh, reproduction of a, uh, a doula gal, uh, and that was made by uh, uh, Matteo Camero, uh, my uh, uh, our daughter Loana's uh, partner. And you can see that's a this is it shows you a bit like what it looks like. Uh, so here uh, we have one. I'll just put the light on it. But of course, and the skin on the face just, normally, well, normally describes very well. The face looks very um, gorilla-like, uh, but but um, I mean, this is sim this was simply a Christmas present given to me, so just a one-off piece of sculpture. Absolutely. It's not it's not it's not um, supposed to be exactly lifelike, but this is something like. Uh, uh, what we're dealing with and which seems to be increasing in number. Uh, and he's even got the voice, so get ready, listen to the voice of the doula gal. Uh, that's <laughs> no, that's not really its voice, but, uh, obviously. But so, but um, we also have uh, in my uh, scientific paper in the Australian Zoologist, we do in fact have. Uh, an illustration uh, done from life. There are people that are actually studying these and I'm going to show you the first illustration done from life of the of the doula gal and that's it there. In fact these are different illustrations uh, but uh, this one on this one just here, uh, that was done yeah. by Pixie Burns, and she uh, was able to watch uh, this Yowie uh, from uh, only about 25 metres away. It sat down in front of her. Uh, she was on, on a slope in the forest, and it sat, it came, emerged into a small clearing. It sat down, and it didn't look at her. It obviously knew she was there. It acted very much like a gorilla, and then it simply stood up and walked away. Uh, and then she got to see it on two occasions. And uh, uh, you also, and these are the very first illustrations of these animals, unknown to scientists, ever published in a scientific journal. And uh, of course, we've got no physical evidence for these animals whatsoever, and we won't have until we've got DNA. But look, there's a uh, a, an illustration uh, that was published in uh, in 1912, I think it was in the Sydney Sun newspaper, uh, oh. and you'll see it there. Uh, <coughs> uh, it, it, that was seen by a group of surveyors, and it's, um, that was the first published illustration uh, uh, and observed by Charles Harper, published Sydney Sun, 10 November 1912, the Bombala anthropoid, drawn by Will Will Donald from a description, now encountered in the Currakbilly Ranges when it approached campfire at night, moving erect and then retreated at a faster rate on all fours. So, and <coughs> and uh, and uh, I'll just show you experience another. A couple of other interesting things. So. This is the first colour painting. It's a, it's a watercolour uh, and it was done by Diane Smith. 
and it was based on uh, Pixie Burns' illustration. Uh-huh. And uh, so that's uh, the original uh, painting that's now in the uh, Dangerous Ideas and Zoology edition of the Australian Zoologist. So that's the very first colour painting of of one of these wonderful animals, probably yeah. Homo erectus. Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, and this is interesting as well. Uh, this is a little sculpture called the Yowie of Springbrook. And Springbrook is just north of us. Springbrook is part of one of the world's largest volcanic calderas. It's part of the northern crater wall. It's about uh, 3,300, something like that, feet tall. So about a 1,000 metres or so. And uh, there's been many um, detailed uh, close encounters over the, over the decades of the Yowies up there. And so this is a little sculpture that I, that I bought, was sold in a, a souvenir shop of the Yowie of Springbrook. So just an interesting little uh, uh, statue. But of course, um, there's no physical evidence for the existence of these animals. And of course, um, most people um, wouldn't believe that they exist under any circumstances until they encounter one. And, and then they're, they're terribly shocked to discover that something like this is still alive. Is there's a small so different? Yeah. So we have uh, another species. We have we have another species. We have two or three of these of these relict humans. We don't really know what 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 they are, but we have this smaller species. Uh, uh, well, very well known to the Aboriginal people. And uh, in this locality, it's known as the Nimbinge uh, or Nimbinji, uh, and uh, uh, also known uh, in other localities as Junjadis. Uh, and it seems to be identical with the, uh, the fossil uh, human that was discovered on Flores. Uh, in the uh, eastern archipelago of Indonesia, so just directly north of Australia, uh, and uh, uh, in a large cave there, uh, a, a number of, of uh, fossil skeletons of, a, of a, a miniature human only standing about three to four feet tall, uh, and it was scientifically named Homo floresiensis. Oh, yes. And, yes. Yeah, Homo floresiensis. Do you and, think it uh, has Entity Yes, look, it's it's definitely here. I'm a surprise by the number of phone calls that I get live on air from farmers encountering uh, the these amazing uh, miniature humans. And for instance, uh, only a few months ago, uh, while talking live on air, uh, there's a host, of course, on the radio show, uh, and uh, uh, it was uh, uh, Joanne Shoebridge and uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Richard phoned up uh, and you could tell he was uh, originally from England. He had an English accent and he was an older man, obviously. Uh, and uh, he said, oh, look, I, I, I saw I found the, saw these three animals. I want them identified. I, I haven't seen 
anything like them in the books or anything. I can't work out what they were. And I said, oh, it's, well, you know, tell me what you've seen. He said, he said, well, you know, it's, uh, I was herding my cattle on, on horseback. He got a small mob of cattle and he's moving them to another paddock. And uh, uh, so this, this is in uh, Crabs Creek Valley and uh, it's a, all, all of our valleys. The valley bottoms are cleared and that's mainly cattle fattening and sugar cane and also growing various kinds of crops, coffee, tea in the lowlands. Uh, and bananas and uh, macadamia nuts in particular and then the ranges are covered in forests and nearly always protected as national parks and nature reserves so um, it's a very forested environment with the uh, with the with the, the obviously the level lands the valley bottoms um, cleared sugarcane uh, and uh, assorted crops so he's herding his cattle he's got a cattle dog or two and they, they run over to the edge of the forest and start barking at something. So he rides over to see what they're barking at. And he said he, he was just astounded by what he saw. He said there was three animals standing there and they looked to him just like little hairy humans. And he said one of them was four foot high and covered in black hair. And one of them was three and a half foot high, looked like a female, and it was covered in blonde hair so sort of a light brown hair or caramel colored hair and there was a young one that had a child and it was about three feet tall and it was also the same color as the mother <coughs> and then off they ran into the forest and he said he was absolutely astounded because he never imagined such a thing existed and so he was talking live on air knowing that this is the ABC North Coast local radio, just like ABC local radio is all over Australia. It's where all of the uh, all of the the uh, important government announcements are made. You know, for uh, 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 the weather and uh, uh, farming prices and 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 uh, uh, weather conditions and and uh, disasters, floods and fires and other things. Uh, and uh, so it's it's the radio station that all the the local rural people listen to uh, and the people uh, in the towns. And so these farmers that talk about these animals, they know that, they're, <laughs> that, they're, that their neighbours are listening. And sometimes their neighbours will phone up and say, I've seen exactly the same animal. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, and so I've had several phone calls and reports. I've gone out and, and checked out localities. So I had another chap uh had a had a his his dog he was walking his dog and uh justin was walking his dog and uh, the uh, uh the dog sat down and was, was staring very uh in a very concentrated manner uh at something and he sat beside the dog trying to see what it was and you could see a black animal about 20 meters or so uh <laughs> in front of him and he suddenly it stood up and it ran he said it was like a gibbon it had it had long arms and legs and, and it looked to him more like a gibbon than anything. It was about four foot high and it ran very rapidly away. Uh, he, he contacted me and I, we went and I, we had an explorer of the area. There was a nice little patch of rainforest where he saw it. It was right on the edge of suburbia, uh, the small wow. town of Byron Bay. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, uh, I've had several other encount uh, reports, encounters, a, a gentleman camping. Uh, opened his, when he woke up in the morning, he sees what he thinks a child looking in his tent 
then he realizes a little old man a little hairy man staring at him and just grunts at him and walks off uh, a, a, a mother and daughter riding their horses and encountered one uh, in the middle of the day uh, and black and it just ran really quick in a zigzag fashion so it zigzagged away um, and, and probably that's an adaptation to maybe because they've had to live with 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 um, uh, the original people for many thousands upon thousands of years and so maybe that zigzag motion the way they run is to um, avoid being speared or anything but uh, and then the most amazing encounter uh, a, a lady with the name of Laurie at Ganella Bar near Lismore. Uh, uh, she <laughs> spoke about uh, uh, having some friends over and a barbecue, and then they were sitting around the fire. Everyone left, and she, uh, after they left, it was midnight, and the fire was just about out. And she walked over to a big gum tree on the edge of a, of the property, uh, and uh, uh, and bent down to, to pick up some fallen branches uh, and she heard someone coming up behind her and this is about this is about you know only 20 meters from the say 20 yards from the uh, from the fire and the husband I suppose uh, and uh, she thought maybe the husband was walking over to give her a hand next second uh, she was grabbed by her hair by by the her ponytail uh, and she was pulled back up to her feet because she was bent right over <laughs> and she said, and she was staring face to face, but the, about four foot hot tall, of once again a blonde-haired, little hairy man staring right at her face to face and said to her in a very gravelly voice, no more wood, and then ran <laughs> in the zigzag fashion away. So that's the first time of anyone reported actually them communicating directly and who knows since they are humans um i mean this is homo floresiensis if this is what it is uh, and the others homo denisovan or homo erectus uh these are highly intelligent uh hominids and uh, uh and who knows what abilities they actually have uh and but the good news is that the reports seem to be increasing and of course Majority of people do not report sightings. So uh, the various researchers have speculated that there are several sightings every day going on across Australia, and only about 1% um, report their sightings. So about 90, 90, 99% of people never tell anybody because if they tell anybody, they get laughed at. If you, if you say, oh, you saw it. If you met a um, prehistoric human in the woods or something or other, or a Tasmanian tiger, uh, you know, they immediately people say, oh, he must be drinking or something. Uh, and in fact, um, you know, people that have encountered these animals, they say, oh, whenever they heard anyone encountering one of these unknown animals, they would dismiss it immediately and laugh at them. Uh, and then after they had an encounter, uh, everyone now laughs at them. Yes, so so that's the uh, there. The, yeah. <laughs> so then the other animals we received reports of, which is particularly interesting, uh, is the marsupial lion, uh, Thylacolio carnifex. Now 
the marsupial lion is well known in the fossil record uh, and it was one of the most spectacular predators on earth uh, unrelated to cats but very cat-like uh, uh, and so once again the way it's called parallel evolution uh, because an, animals adapting to uh, the conditions in a particular locality but coming from isolated populations unrelated to other populations of animals uh, uh, obviously uh, an animal that 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 feeds on vegetation um, is liable to end up with a face that looks something like a, a sheep or, or a deer or, or, or something like that and so kangaroos have quite deer-like faces uh, and uh, uh, so the Tasmanian tiger or thylacine uh, even though it's unrelated at all to dogs um, looks very dog-like except it usually has black bars across the back uh, and has a completely different way of walking has a long stiff tail uh, and can jump like a kangaroo and run like a dog so the marsupial lion uh, it's not related to lions or cats in any way and in fact it's related to possums uh, and of course in our Australian possums or phalanges quite an array of animals are marsupials with pouches uh, distantly related to koalas uh, they uh, they uh, uh, are very common in Australia some of the most common animals so we have the, the largest animals are the cuscusses that live in the tropics and in New Guinea, which is a part of Australia. Uh, and and uh, we have the brush-tailed possums. We have the ring-tailed possums, little tiny possums, uh, only the size of mice called pygmy possums and honey possums. Uh, and then many of the possums have evolved the ability to glide. They're just like flying squirrels. Uh, we have gliding possums and so we have greater gliders that are, are about a metre long or say three feet long. Uh, look just more like a, gl a gliding squirrel, but are unrelated to squirrels in any way, uh, true marsupials, and they glide through the trees and they range from the greater glider, yellow-bellied glider is a little bit smaller. They can travel 100 metres as they glide overhead through the treetops. Uh, and then you get um, uh, uh, squirrel gliders, mahogany gliders, uh, sugar gliders and, and uh, little tiny feather gliders only the size of mice or gliding around in the trees so uh, the marsupial lion is distantly related to the possum so you can imagine a possum uh, or an opossum which they have in North and South America very distantly related marsupials this is a lion size uh, possum carnivorous possum uh, and so it has it doesn't have canines it has two huge incisors, those front biting teeth, and, and huge cutting molars. And uh, it, it's, the fossils are well known up until about 40,000 years ago when most of the Australian megafauna went extinct. We don't really know what happened to it, but uh, as we know, the megafauna survived in Africa and India, but it went extinct in, in Europe. Um, with the cave bears and the mammoths and the hairy, rhin hairy rhinoceroses and what have you and all the um, North and South American uh, uh, megafauna like the giant sloths and the mastodons and the, and the uh, cave bears and all the other wonderful animals went extinct around about 12,000 years ago. The Australian megafauna went extinct around about 40,000 years ago 
whether it was due to climate change, during the glaciation of the ice ages. Uh, but So Australia was full of these huge animals. We had huge koalas that were the size of hippos uh, or rhinoceroses, and they're known as diprotodonts, diprotodont, uh, two front teeth. And uh, 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 so distantly related, of course, to koalas and wombats. But we had giant koalas, uh, but really and really big terrestrial species. Uh, we had giant kangaroos, lots of species of giant kangaroos that stood, <coughs> you know, um, three metres tall. Uh, we had the world's largest birds, uh, gigantuous flightless geese that stood about three metres tall. We had terrestrial crocodiles. We had the world's largest lizard, <coughs> the size of an Allosaurus dinosaur, uh, so it's called Varanus pristis, uh, uh, <coughs> uh, the giant goanna, uh, <coughs> uh, and they, uh, uh, we also had these marsupial lions and also uh, a different species of thylacines, powerful thylacines of Tasmanian tigers, much bigger than the ones that survive today. Even little species are only as big as cats. Uh, there was big Tasmanian devils, so quite an array of fabulous animals, giant tortoises with horns on their heads and club tails, and this great array of spectacular animals went extinct mostly around about 40,000 years ago, as far as the evidence, skeletal evidence, um, is concerned. However, <coughs> the, um, the marsupial lion or thylacolio, thylacoleo, uh, carnifex, uh, uh, there's lots of reports of these animals uh, all over Australia, and uh, there's been uh, books written on them, uh, and uh, and it's, it's probably the animal that I saw uh, in 1969 crossing the road. Uh, I've, I've got a drawing of it just here. Uh-huh. Let's see that. And of course, that's in my book. So uh -huh. that's what I saw across the road in 1969. I got a real close view of it. And, and is and, that uh, your sketch, Gary? Yeah, yeah. It, not, that, that's actually a, a sketch by uh, uh, Jeff Johnson, and he made it from my original sketch. That was my sketch that I did at the time. That's oh, the animal. And whether yeah. like the tail might, I think that the tail um, was, I did it too, too fluffed up, but it, it uh -huh. crossed the road slowly right in front of me. And then I sent this uh, picture that I did to Jeff Johnson uh, a decade ago now, I suppose. And, and what uh, kind of he, size was that was the animal? Uh, and so he did that and I said, yes, that's pretty much what it looked like. It was the uh -huh. size, around about the size of a very big dog. So uh -huh. uh, as it came out of the vegetation, and I was driving down the road, and of course, I'm, you know, I, I've always been an animal lover. I've always been able to identify all the animals. And so I thought this was a, a dog coming out of the long grass in the forest. And I thought, look at the head on it. It looks like a mastiff or something. And so a big dog sized. Uh, and then as it came out onto the verge, onto the... The, the, the mowing grass on the side of the road, I realised, no, that's not a, <laughs> that's nothing like a dog at all. And it, and the, the hind legs um, were moving very much like a possum, um, brush tail possum. You could see it was quite a, a different animal to anything um, <laughs> that we have. And uh, I'd heard of this animal, 
generally known as the Queensland tiger because it's um it's banded. It was sort of a brindle colour with um the tail was particularly noticeable being banded, and it was the tail was the last thing that I saw. Now that's what from memory, that's what the tail looked like, but maybe it wow. wasn't as thickly furred as that. Uh, but but um I continued to get reports of this animal. It can be all black. Uh, or it can have a, a banded tail just like that, uh, and uh, or it can be have very distinctive stripes. Uh, and the and did you was, see? Did you see the tail move, or did it stay perpendicular to the animal throughout throughout the time that you you had it in view? It no, yeah, the it, the tail didn't move. It was it was straight perpendicular behind it, uh, and it didn't wag. You could tell it wasn't. It was nothing like a dog. Uh, uh -huh. And I could tell it was definitely a carnivorous marsupial because uh, uh, if, you, if you live in Australia and you study the wildlife, you know what carnivorous marsupials like. They're wonderful animals. Uh, the ones that we know best is the spotted tail quoll, uh, also called tiger quoll or tiger cat, uh -huh. uh, and the native cats. Uh, originally they're called native cats. They're nothing like cats, not related to them. They're, they look a bit more like uh, uh, martens or ferrets or something like that, uh, and very attractive spotted animals, brown with um, white spots or black with white spots. Uh, the eastern quoll, the northern quoll, the western quoll, they're, they're a bit smaller than cats and they're carnivorous marsupials. Then you get the, uh, the spotted tail quoll as the largest of them. Uh, and so this looked like an enormous version of the spotted tail quoll. And this is a, an illustration also by Jeff Johnson uh, of of one that was actually trapped by a fellow by the name of Arthur Davis at Torrington in 1939. And this is the drawing of what it looked like. Uh, and my brother has twice seen this same animal. Uh, and, and he said the ones that he saw twice, that part of the tail there um, was very thin, but it was brushed out at the end. And many of uh -huh. our muskies have a brushed tail, the brushed tail possums. But, he trapped this animal in a rabbit trap, wow. and he he uh, <laughs> he came he was checking his traps, and suddenly he came across this animal, and this is the animal the size of a very big dog, uh, in like a mastiff or something, and uh, it jumped at him and it swiped at him with its front claws, uh, and it and it and it it made an amazing call. Interestingly enough, we do have. Uh, on my uh, Australian cryptozoology, Gary Opert, we do have an amazing call recorded by a lady on her phone. She lives in the in the in the forest on a property surrounded by forest, and she recorded this astounding animal's call. And uh, experts have listened to it and say it's the sound of an animal unknown to science, and and it's a really unusual call. You can tell it's a marsupial call. It's, it's nothing like any other animal. And you can listen to it on my Australian Cryptozoology Gary Opert Facebook site. But um, so it made this very bizarre call. He said he described the call as like the sound of a flock of parrots or something all taking off screeching or something. So like and and anyway, so he uh, he picked up a log and hit it over the head and knocked it unconscious. And uh, he thought he'd killed it. And so he took it out of the trap and then he went back. Uh, to get his car to drive up closer, a car or his horse or whatever, horse and cart. Or this is 939 in, oh, uh, yeah. in the New England New England uh, tablelands in uh, Central East New South Wales, and he went to get his 
He, he, and he came back because he wanted to take it to the museum. He said, fantastic, I found a new kind of animal. And uh, it was gone. I spent a lot of time trying to hunt one. And um, it, and he, it, it was all it's rocky country. And he said he got to see one. Uh, and it was another individual. It wasn't the same one that he'd trapped. Uh, and um, it um, before he could shoot it, it, it jumped uh, several meters and disappeared down a crevice into the rock. So and and so wow. this animal is being reported all over Australia again and again. And and uh, uh, and it it often seems to be jet black. And so people tend to think it's a black panther. Uh, oh, but if they I get see. a really close look at it. They realise oh. it's not black panther at all. It's sort of they said the head's more like a bear or something. And amazing. So, do you enough, think many of your black panther sightings in Australia could actually be of this animal? Yes, I think a lot of them are. There's a researcher in Victoria, and that's his conclusion. And he's uh -huh. seen this animal on several occasions. Uh, and he's got a, a Facebook site called uh, Thylacolio Lives. Thylacolio Lives from memory. A wonderful. Uh, and, he, and he's got a book of that of that same name, uh, but um, this animal was actually photographed in 1930. Uh, no, 1964. Uh, the it's, it was photographed in 1964 in uh, Western Victoria. So he's an actual photograph, and I saw this first published in the newspapers when I and I cut it out as a clipping. I thought, oh my goodness, fancy. An unknown species of animal, <laughs> and and so uh, so this this is the probably the best photograph ever taken of an animal unknown to science, uh, and this animal is still being seen today, uh, wow. <coughs> and uh, it, almost certainly it's Thylacolio carnifex, uh, the marsupial lion. Uh, though, of course, we don't know. There's no physical evidence whatsoever. But um, so anyway, in Western Victoria, this um her the lady that saw this was Rilla Martin, and she was visiting her cousin on a farm in Western Queens, Western Victoria. <coughs> and and uh, she, uh, and while she was visiting there, they were talking about a large striped animal that people had seen, uh, uh, but no one knew what it was. Uh, they knew it wasn't a tiger, but it was a, an unknown animal. Uh, and, and there'd be many reports of Tasmanian tigers, so people thought maybe it's a Tasmanian tiger. Uh, <clears throat> there's even there's even evidence to, to show that um, people visiting Tasmania um, brought back Tasmanian tigers as pets and they're exhibited uh, and, and, and may have even been released. Uh, and it's believed uh, a gentle, a researcher by the name of Michael Moss, I believe his name is, and he believes that Tasmanian tigers or thylacines are actually purposely reintroduced into the uh, <coughs> into a national park uh, in Victoria, but anyway, wow. she was driving. She was driving back to Melbourne from the farm, uh, and she, she there were some some lovely flowers on the wildflowers growing on the side of the road. She said, "I'll take a photograph of those flowers." So she she took out a box brownie camera. And she was about to take the photograph when she said, suddenly this animal jumped, just suddenly leapt into view and stood there just for a few seconds. And she clicked the, the picture of it and then it, it made another jump and was gone. And wow. uh, so anyway, when, when, she, mm -hmm. when she got the film 
uh, developed, she sent it to her cousin, his name Bushy, uh, his nickname, and she said, wrote a letter saying, this is, this, ah, oh, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it, I saw that animal that you were talking about, here's a picture of it. So he was amazed and he, he, he sent the, uh, he sent the photograph to the local newspaper, the Wimmera Times, and they published it. Ah, the striped animal's finally been photographed. And then it was picked up by the the, uh, 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 the regional or the state newspapers. Uh, and then pretty much well forgotten about. And other people say, sure. oh, I know. Sure. It, I've it, never, ever heard of it, actually. So, yes, the, yeah, so really it, was seen, it was seen in a place called Ozenkadnook. So they call it the Ozenkadnook tiger. Uh, and and some people say, oh no, they must have made a model and they set it up or something. And 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 and, and Rilla, Rilla Martin and, and the cousin have said, well, we wouldn't waste our time doing something like that. <laughs> people that try to make out these animals don't exist because you know that they, they live in the city and they know that milk comes from supermarkets and there's nothing out there. And that's, that's not that's the general consensus everywhere, even here in Britain, is that. People actually in the cities have a very poor concept of the environment that exists within their own country. Gary, just before we finish up, because we've kind of come to the end of the, the segment, um, which of the uh, animals that you've researched over the years, unknown animals or thought to be extinct animals, do you think is the most likely to be discovered in the next 10 years or so? Oh, look, look very possibly. Uh, any one of those ones I've been talking about um, could be discovered at any time. But the way they'll be discovered, probably most likely, because very difficult to, to because these all these animals live in very small uh, numbers in uh, in large territories because they're all carnivores. Uh, that um, the Ozen Cadnook tiger. Uh, uh, recently, I got a report. Uh, a, a woman uh, said, "Oh, her father, I think it was, or her uncle, um, they shot one of these animals." They dragged it onto the dragged into the house, put it on the dining room table. Said, "Look at that! Look, there's an animal unknown. No one's ever seen one of those before." And then they threw it into back into the paddock. You know, like because most people, <laughs> they're not really, you know, that they, they go, "Oh, there's an interesting animal." And then, and then, but but so, look, so the only way to really find out if these animals are real, because and as I've said before, um, we've got no physical evidence whatsoever. Uh, uh, and uh, however. We don't get any reports of unicorns or or or, um, or other mythical beasts. You know, no one sees demons. They watch hundreds of films and TVs with every kind oh, of yeah. alien and, and demon and 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 you know, we've got unicorns and fairies. There's no minotaurs wandering around the country, basically. No, no exactly. Griffins the, the reports, and minotaurs. Yeah, that's right. The reports are always of animals. And, uh, uh, and 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 look, these days uh, our study of genetics and DNA in particular, as you know, uh, it's now thankfully very difficult to commit a crime. And if there's a cold case, you look at the DNA and you uh -huh. study the DNA where once you couldn't do that, and you find oh, you can identify the actual individual uh, and bring them to justice that may have committed a, a murder or some crime years before. Uh, and of course, as we know, everywhere we go, we leave our DNA everywhere. Uh, and that's why you can solve these crimes. And so now uh, 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 marine uh, and aquatic biologists, for instance, uh, are doing uh, uh, studies where they take 
uh, a bottle of water from a river or a creek or a lake and they can identify the DNA of any animal that's drunk from that or lived in it. And so there, I believe there's a study being undertaken at Loch Ness at the moment because right. if the Loch Ness animal exists, there'll definitely be uh, DNA from Loch Ness animals. And, and you said about Loch Ness, uh, Rex and Heather Gilroy, really they're the, uh, the grandparents of Australian cryptozoology. <coughs> they were the, the people, <coughs> they live in the Blue Mountains, that um, <coughs> uh, dedicated their life to, uh, and still, uh, still doing exactly the same thing, began um, putting out uh, a newspaper articles asking for reports of these animals because they were receiving the reports. They set up uh, three different museums over time, natural history museums, because they're also interested in butterflies and insects butter and what have you. Uh, and, uh, uh, and they've received hundreds of reports. And interestingly enough, they've received many reports of a very plesiosaur or Loch, Loch Ness monster type animal living in the Hawkesbury River. Uh -huh. and, and I've got, and they've published books on them. So there's, Australia has, uh, there's quite a few researchers and they've published some wonderful books. And, and uh, if you're interested in Loch Ness monster, well, this river of monsters um, is well worth having a look at. Uh, and you can you can uh, just go online and uh, uh, Uru Publications, Rex Gilroy, Rex and Heather Gilroy. They have a they have a, a site. We we all get together every year and speak at the Australian Cryptozoological Research Organisation conference every year, around about 9th of September uh, in Newcastle, uh, just north of Sydney. Uh, if you ever get a chance, you're in Australia, come along. Uh, it goes for two days. Um, I'm always speaking, and uh, and Rex and Heather Gilroy speak, uh, and th they've picked up hundreds of reports of a plesiosaur-like animal, and even have illustrations, a uh, photograph uh, of, of cave paintings, and, and and they've even seen what looks like the animal. Uh, and then, but the most astounding, and and it's well well known to the Aboriginal people. Again, there's rock carvings of it. The, the Aboriginal people call it Miralina. But the most astounding animal that they've been able to receive reports of is a surviving species of dinosaur. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, and this is called Burrenjaw. Uh -huh. uh, and this is a and this is a, a true uh, one of the Tyrannosaurids, right? Surviving today. Uh, and they've oh. picked up quite a few reports of it living in the in the remote tropical north of Australia. Now, Australia, for those that haven't seen Australia, and even most Australians haven't had anything to do with much of the outback, you can imagine Australia, say, like the United States was uh, 200 or 300 years ago. So we've got most of the population live in just two or three, four cities on the east coast or southeast coast. Uh, and then there's one big city up in Darwin, and in one city in the uh, where say Los Angeles is in North America, so you can imagine one city, you know, up at Denver, say, and in and in, and in uh, one city in uh, Florida, Miami, and then you know New York and Boston or something or other. Very sparsely populated. Very sparsely, twenty-five million yeah. people. The whole thing is forested, and, wow. and these reports of this barren jaw. This is the Aboriginal name for it. Now I've got had no reports of this, and I have no idea if this animal exists or not. I have absolutely no idea. This is purely from the work of Rex and Heather Gilroy, but they've done a wonderful job and, and wow. they've been astounded by what they've re re reports they've received. 
But now people that have seen these, um, that have just claimed to have seen them, uh, uh, they you um, generally stockmen, uh, uh, and uh, as a kind of animal, if you encounter it, you it's very unlikely you will live to tell the tale. Uh, however, um, you'd think, oh, look, it's impossible that something like this could exist, and that's it's pretty much what I would would say as well. Um, uh, I find it hard to believe. However, uh, you never know. Uh, and if this amazing animal has, has survived, uh, and I mean, these dinosaurs, they weren't the monsters that they're made out to be in sort of Jurassic Park or whatever. So if, say, if, it, if say, a Tyrannosaurid-like dinosaur survived to the present, um, it would have lived for thousands of years uh, with Aboriginal people, with, with humans, with people, with brilliant hunters, uh, and it would, who would spear it at the first opportunity they would to defend themselves. So you can imagine something like this if it if it survived, and 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 I mean I I think it's you'd imagine it's highly unlikely. However, you uh -huh. can imagine if something like this did survive, it's nocturnal. It's mainly seen at night. Uh, uh, it would live. It doesn't know like any carnivores. We might be frightened of carnivores or whatever, but they don't know they're big and terrifying. You know, same with. The, <laughs> Someone might meet you in the street and regard you. Oh my God! You know you're a frightening-looking person. Or just meet me. Go, oh my God! Look at him. But in, in actuality, you and I might be quite meek or mild. The same thing with something like this. It doesn't know it's big and terrifying. Um, it, it would be conserving energy. It would be sleeping to, during the daytime. A solitary hunter, uh, and uh, 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 and then be feeding mainly on kangaroos and koala, uh, kangaroos and emus. Uh, and uh, but these days it have huge supplies of um, wild cattle and donkeys and horses mm. and camels and, and goats and pigs uh, and uh, and of course like all animals all carnivores especially they conserve energy conserve energy so they would it would know where its prey is it would go out it would grab itself something to eat like a wild pig or something it would consume it and go back to its den and sleep now you would think that there's no chance of this possibly existing uh, and, and I find it very hard to believe that such a thing could exist uh, and, you know naturally you think it's more likely Tasmanian tigers might have survived because we know they exist it's hard to believe that Homo erectus um, yowies or do yes. survive I mean all of these things that are hard to believe but there's so many other things that we um, found difficult to believe that we now know to be true like the gorilla uh, I was making a joke to somebody just the other day that about the giant squid. That was the kraken at some point. And I was yeah. just there in a museum and you can go and see it. And there, there's the kraken lying in formaldehyde. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, Gary, I, I'm going to finish the, the show here if you come to the end of the segment. But um, what I would just like you to tell people is, is where can they where can they find you? Um, and how can they get involved in your work if they want to help in some way? Yes, if, look, if they're interested, anyone's interested in reporting what they've seen, and, and I always point out, I could denigrate people. You know, people that phone me up and or, or, or send me emails or whatever, I could say, oh, you're an idiot or something, don't. <laughs> but, but, but uh, I mean, I wouldn't do that because I'm, 
I'm fascinated by what people are seeing. And I'm also interested, like, if there was no DNA, if we discover that there isn't any DNA, um, then it's also interesting because why are people seeing something? Uh, are they hallucinating? Are they, uh, we've got a, uh, a large numbers of people who are just terrible liars and ha happy to fabricate things. Uh, uh, you mentioned once uh, earlier, um, I actually found uh, and described in that, uh, in my scientific paper, citizen science and cryptozoology results of 18 years of of, um, uh, uh, of wildlife uh, radio uh, that um, uh, up at the, the Gymnast State Forest in southeast Queensland, at sort of uh, north of Brisbane, uh, I was taken out there by a couple of researchers uh, who had found all of these unusual uh, uh, tree tears or or marks on trees, huh. and I went and had a look, and that's one of the things that I uh, I talk about in that scientific study. Uh, I found about 500 examples of where an unknown animal had been feeding on uh, on wood boring uh, longhorned or longicorn beetle larvae, uh, and had been using uh, the the it was always on, on, on these green wattles. It was around about a, a metre or less above ground. Uh, we have, we have uh, yellow-tailed black cockatoos that rip um, uh, timber apart to feed on these grubs, generally referred to as witchetty grubs, some of the species. It's uh, as a, as a, as an, uh, an original people's, an Australian people's uh, delicacy for thousands of years. Uh, but um, there was no sign of tool use. You could see what looked like thumbnail impressions or fingernail impressions uh, in the bark uh, and always a strip of timber had been peeled. Uh, first the uh -huh. bark had been peeled up and then the timber had been pulled out uh, and exposing the burrow uh, of this wood boring uh, beetle larva. Uh, and uh, and then that there was no bite marks or anything. <coughs> it was very neatly done. Uh, and uh, And then the grub had been obviously taken out Possibly by inserting a fingernail, because only a small mm -hmm. section of the of the burrow beneath in the in the timber had been ex exposed. So that's the only physical evidence that I found that that you know. And I said in my scientific paper, um, I'd love somebody to tell me what kind of animal is responsible for this. But what was seen was definitely a yowie or one of these relic hominids, as they're often called. Um, maybe it was a jundjadi, uh, but they. Uh, these people that, that um, took me to this site and I never heard or saw anything, but I saw all these everywhere. I looked, there was this evidence of this unusual predation on these wood boring grubs, uh, but they had heard a chattering sound or call and they had actually disturbed in the night while spotlighting a, uh, an animal that, uh, that looked like a, 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 a black uh, primate that ran off mm. on its hind legs. So, you know, a yowie or a jundjadi or whatever. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it's a very interesting continent. Uh, there's whole mountain ranges that have hardly been explored. Uh, even in the Sydney district, you go up to the Blue Mountains, only a, a, a couple of hours west of Sydney or an hour and a half or something by train or car up to Katoomba and go to Echo Point and the Three Sisters and look out and just look at that country. Uh, there's vast areas, the wilderness, all protected in National Park, and that's just the beginning of it. 
uh, stretches right across the continent. Large areas have been cleared, of course, for cattle grazing. Farms.